0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. So this morning we'll be hearing God's Word from Genesis chapter 8, uh, verse 20, uh, through chapter 9, verse 17. So continuing in our, in a sense, in our Advent series, in another sense, in our Genesis series, um, there are Bibles in the back you can grab uh, to follow along. We don't have the text up on the screen. It's, it's a little bit of long text sometimes through this, uh, through this journey through, through Genesis. But this is, it fits in with both continuing through the book of Genesis but also for Advent in the theme of promise. We saw the first week in the story of the flood that the promise was needed, that mankind was sinful, all the thoughts of his heart were evil all the time, And so God needed to do something about it. And so he sent the flood as judgment upon the earth. Last week, we saw that the promise was kept, that God remembered Noah and the animals on the ark, and he kept his promise even though it seemed like they were on the ark for a very, very long time. Today, as we come to the next part of the story, they're off the ark, and this is what we call God's covenant with Noah, what God has done. This is the promise guaranteed guaranteed not just for Noah but for the Noah and all his descendants for all time. So this is a tremendously significant passage uh, in the entire Bible and the whole setup of the Bible. If you know something about the Bible you may know that God makes a series of covenants with his people and this is really the first covenant that is really spelled out with that language. It's not the first time the word is used in his initial Uh, instructions to Noah. He told him back in chapter 6 he would make a covenant. We also see many of the features of the covenant back with Adam in the Garden of Eden, but this is the first time it's really well spelled out and God will follow this pattern again and again to make covenants with his people. So listen and hear the significance of the promise guaranteed in God's covenant with Noah. This is Genesis chapter 8 starting at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise, your promise that was made to Noah, that was written down for your people for all time and preserved for us. So we pray now that as we reflect on your word together, that you would take this word and sink it deep into us by the power of your Holy Spirit. That it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I, as I promised, I have something... As I promised. Ah, that's funny. I have something in my mystery bag, but it's very small. The small thing in my mystery bag is in fact a ring. It's my wedding ring. Uh was in the mystery bag. And why this wedding ring is in the mystery bag? Cuz wedding rings are something that we understand. What's the point of a wedding ring? What's the point of a ring? Anybody to show that you're married and what what is marriage? What does it mean to be married? It's a covenant. We talk about a covenant of marriage. We talk about a promise. Sometimes in a wedding ceremony, we'll take the ring and we'll put it on the finger and we'll say, with this ring, I thee wed. It is the sign and symbol of our love, of our commitment to one another. And so this is, uh, this is one of the human things that we, we, is a sign of promise. But one of our problems is that our human promises with all their signs, whether it's the the sign of the wedding ring, whether it's the piece of paper that's the marriage license, whether it's any kind of contract that has been signed, uh, in all human promises the sign is only as good as the people who are making the promise. And we know tragically that even with promises as solemn as marriage, sometimes people take those signs and they just throw them away. And they say this can't happen anymore. I can't. I thought I was going to do this, but I can't do it anymore. I cannot keep my promise. And there's hurt, and there's betrayal. And it's not just in marriage; it's in all kinds of human agreements and contracts. And we see this way back in Genesis chapter nine. God admits, uh, sorry, in Genesis chapter eight, the end of it, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth even after the flood, even after God wiped away the evil and restarted with the righteous Noah and his family, he's still back in the same place. It's the exact same thing he said in chapter 6 before the flood. All of man's thoughts are evil all the time. Every thought of man's heart is evil. from the, Every intention is evil from his youth. It's a human problem. And so what is going to happen in the midst of this? What is going to happen if a flood cannot wipe off evil from the earth. What is going to happen with God's new start? The good news here is that God has not left man, has not left humans to figure this out for ourselves, not left us to figure it out on our own strength, our own promises, but instead God begins the new start of humanity with an unshakable promise. Over and over, he repeats it a whole bunch of times here. I have made a covenant, an everlasting covenant what, what really is, like I've used that word a couple times, what is a covenant? Said it's a promise. The, the, the catechism, the children's catechism, in fact, a series of questions and answers that tells us the truth about God that's in the Bible, says that a covenant is a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word. God, a, a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word. And so the really good news, the main thing this is telling us about God is that God has made a covenant with who? With all of us. That's what God said to Noah. the very Verse 17. This is the sign of the covenant that was between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Noah, his children, their descendants, the animals, the earth as a whole. God has said, I am not going to wipe this all away with the flood again. The foundation of new humanity is the unshakable promise of God. That is our hope. That's the hope that we need in this Christmas season. We can't hope in other, other people will disappoint us. Our own promises, our own efforts will disappoint us. But we need the unshakable promise of God that he has made an everlasting covenant with the world. So what do we do with that? Like, that's, that's nice. You know, and as I said, in the whole scope of the Bible, like this is really important for understanding the whole Bible, but, but what does it mean for us? Because one of the things that's interesting here is there's not a lot of command given. There's not, it's just, this is just God saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to remember. Even when he puts the sign of the covenant, the rainbow up in the clouds, he says it's a sign for him that I will remember my covenant. God will not destroy. So what do we do? Well, the command that's given to us is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Go be human again. We talked about that some last week. But to help see what to do, think about where we would be if we did not have this covenant. If we did not have this unshakable promise of God, where would we be? We would be living in fear. Did you notice it's an interesting thing in chapter 9, verse 2. It says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. Not the other way around. Instead of walking through the earth afraid of what might happen to us. Afraid of the consequences. Most significantly, instead of walking through life afraid of the wrath of God coming at every moment. Afraid of a flood coming again to sweep away the earth. We can walk in freedom. We can walk without fear. So as we go forth to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to reflect the image of God throughout all of creation, to rule over the earth with kindness and justice, we do it without fear and we walk in the freedom. And what difference does that make? What what difference does it make to you when you know that you are secure? What difference does it make to you if you have a marriage promise that you can count on? That you know that your spouse is not going to reject you no matter how many bad days you have, no matter how many frustrated things you say, that they're going to keep loving you. It gives you amazing freedom. To take a a lighter example than marriage, back when I was a child, I remember going to Disneyland. And at Disneyland, there's there's a, when I was a child, not when you were a child, I took you to Disney World. Nathan just looked at me very quizzically. When I was a child, I went to Disneyland in California. And in Disneyland, there's this, there's this racetrack. And I loved the racetrack. And I loved going around the racetrack. One of the things that's cool about it is even as a small child, you get to drive. But you actually get to drive. Like when you steer the wheel, it turns. But right down the middle of that track, between the wheels, there's a big metal rod that keeps you from going very far. So you can you can drive, you can swing that reel everywhere you want, you can be in control of that car, but but you're safe. And with that safety, you can enjoy the track, you can enjoy the ride. And we know this, we know this too in, in life in general. We feel safe when there are boundaries, there's freedom within those, when somebody else is in charge, somebody else has control, somebody else is gonna make sure things work. And this here in Genesis chapter 8 and 9. This is God's unshakable promise, that he has made an everlasting covenant with the world that's going to keep things safe. Safety, may not we may not always feel that right in the moment, but in an ultimate sense, we know that God has got this. And in that, we have the freedom to go forth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to do his work, to love, to serve, to sacrifice, to give of ourselves, to give and give and give, knowing that God has it. So how can we, you may hear that and think, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can really do that. I don't know if I feel that. And so what is it, what is it in the nature of God here that he has promised us in his covenant? So there's three quick things we can see from God's nature reflected in this covenant. The first is that God accepts sacrifice. The second is that God protects people, and the third is that God takes the consequences. God accepts sacrifice, God protects people, and God takes the consequences. First, God accepts sacrifice. We see this in the very first thing that Noah does when he gets off the boat. This is in chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. If you wonder why he took so many extra birds on the boat, Remember, he took, he took two pairs of every animal, but he took seven pairs of every clean bird. Took extra birds on the boat. Why? As soon as he got off the boat, he made a sacrifice. And he sacrificed some of those birds. He took some of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't say this explicitly in the text but many people look at this example and say that what is happening here is God is accepting the the idea of sacrifice in place of punishment. It doesn't say this is a sacrifice for sin explicitly but the language of burnt offering, the language of pleasing aroma will show up again in the book of Leviticus where it is connected to offerings for sin. And so it seems here the combination of the sacrifice and God's saying he's not going to curse the ground, he's saying instead of punishment coming swiftly for sin, I'm going to accept the sacrifice in its place. And so this is good news for us, that God accepts sacrifice. He accepts sacrifice for our sins. We have no way to atone for our sins. What does this little story of Noah and uh, making a sacrifice and God accepting it mean for us? It means we don't have to try to make up for our sins. How much of our lives is consumed by the guilt and shame of what we've done wrong and trying to make it right? What can I do? I've hurt you. Tell me what I can do to make it right. Tell me, tell me. It leads to more frustration most of the time. Like you've hurt somebody, they're mad at you, you just wanna make it right. And they're like, I mean nothing. Like, you're, like you, can't, you can't take it back. Like you already said the words, you can't take them back. And, and the hope for us is that in the place of, us, try, of being, us being destroyed for our sin or of us desperately striving to make things right on our own, that God accepts sacrifice. First, he accepts this offering of Noah. Then he sets up the system for the people of Israel to offer sacrifices as a year after year reminder of their sins. And then when Jesus came, he said, I'm the perfect sacrifice to take away sin. And the book of Hebrews tells us that it wasn't that, that the blood of these animals could never take away sins on their own. they were a reminder and pointing forward to the death of Jesus that would be in our place and take away sin, actually take it away, actually bring healing, actually bring restoration. So you don't need to wallow in your sin. You don't need to try to make up for it. You need to confess it and receive forgiveness. And repent and walk rightly before God and others. God accepts sacrifice. That's prom- part of His promise that He has established in the world. Secondly, God protects people. Uh, chapter nine, here, verse five. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. Why? Verse six. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man his blood be sh- shall by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in His own image. The image of God remains on man. Even in the evil intentions of his heart, even in all that man has done wrong, the image of God remains. And God will protect his people and his image. And so in this, God both declares his protection, that he he cares about the life of man, that life is sacred, that life is to be protected at all stages. But he also, if you look closely, is setting out rules for how this world is going to function under his protection. Because it's interesting, he does not say that anybody who sheds man's blood, I'm going to strike him down. He says, by, by man shall his blood be shed. In fact, he gives justice here into the hands of men. Not in a, in a vigilante sense, where if you hit me, I'm going to go back at you. But we see as this is developed very quickly throughout the next couple books of the Bible that here many people see, and I think rightly so, the beginning of human government. That there will be, it is established on earth that humans have the power and the authority to govern themselves, to set up rules and structures for justice. And so the, the, the takeaway for this here is we should pay attention to the structures that, we, that have been set up for justice, for government. God, God says that he has set up all the governments of the world, and sometimes we look at them and we're like, really god i'm not sure but somehow in the principle of government god has set this up that humans are to govern the world that is part of our reflecting the image of god it is part of our dominion and so we should set up governments we should seek laws that protect life that that value justice that do so in a way as we'll see here you know this sounds very very eye for an eye this is is in fact the moral foundation for the legitimacy of a death penalty. Of course, you'll see later on in the Bible all this, the restrictions that are put on that, that we have to account for, for what does it look like to carry that out justly in a modern society. I don't have all the answers to that, so you'll have to, you'll have to work that out for yourself. But each of us are called one to rest in the comfort that God protects people, that God protects his image and has set this up around, has set up structures around us, and to seek the best structures that we can, to seek righteousness and justice in the way that we order this earth. So God accepts sacrifice, God protects people, and third, God takes the consequences on himself. Now I've already said that this is, you know, two things that I've said, it's not completely clear, but many people agree they see this. I would also say many people agree with this, but not everybody, just to be fair. but. I think this is fair. Look at the rainbow. What does God say? Verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud. Well, what's a bow? We're talking about rain. We're talking about clouds. Of course, it's the colored light, right? The rainbow that we see that gives us hope after the storm and says this storm is not forever. And at the same time, the bow, bow is a weapon of war. He just said he set the bow there. And it makes a whole lot of sense that after God has exercised justice on the earth and exercised his wrath, he is hanging up the bow. He is hanging up the bow in the clouds and saying, I'm not gonna do that again. I am not going to bring my judgment of wrath on the earth again. And if you take that even a little bit farther, this is not, and again, this is not just me, there's other people who said this too, Where, where is that bow pointing? If you imagine a rainbow, As a bow and arrow hanging up, pointing up into heaven. That the bow is heading straight at God himself. Where he can say that God takes the consequences himself. I will not exercise my wrath and judgment on the earth. Instead, I will take it on myself. What does that mean? It means the Son of God himself came down at Christmas. That he might take those consequences of wrath on himself. being a Christmas, there is no, there is no Christmas and in the incarnation apart from the fact that his name, Jesus, means the Lord saves. And that the angel announced to Mary, that he will, or to Joseph, that he will save his people from their sins. And the only way that Jesus can save his people from their sins is by taking on the consequences for himself. For as we said, when we saw the need for the promise two weeks ago in Genesis chapter 6, God would not be just if he allowed evil to continue throughout the earth. But here he has set out his everlasting covenant to say, I will not destroy the earth again with a flood. Instead, I will take the consequences on myself. And my son Jesus will come and he will bear the price of sin for the whole world. That all who look on him will follow the path of Noah's ark. Through the waters, through the death, through his death, through the water, through his resurrection to new life that they may carry out God's command to be fruitful and multiply in the freedom and peace that God has taken the consequences on himself. He's accepted the sacrifice of Jesus and he is watching over us as we spread his image throughout the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for the beauty and hope of Christmas that Jesus came to earth to make you known to us, to live among us, to show us that you care, that you know, but ultimately to save us from our sins by taking the sacrifice upon himself. Father, would you show us what that means more and more each day? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.